This is Dad, Dad Time, Time Stories. Episode 4, How Thor Got His Hammer. Hello listeners, welcome back to another episode of Dad Time Stories, a podcast where I have my dad tell us stories. I'm your host, Brian, and I'm here with my co-host and storyteller, Dad. Hello, I'm Dad. Why are we here? We're here to tell a story, Brian. What story? What story do you want to have me tell? How about how Thor got his hammer? How Thor got his hammer. That is the story that, that we have prepared for this week. Yep. You picked this story. Yes, I did. Can you tell me a little bit more about why you wanted to hear this story and include it on our podcast? Um, well, it's one of the only stories that include dwarves. Well, it's not the o- one of the only stories that right, include but dwarves. It's mostly Norse mythology that includes Right, 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 right. Norse mythology and... can have a lot of a lot of dwarfs in the stories. Right. Right, but before we started recording, when I was going to ask you why you wanted or to be thinking about why you wanted me to tell this story. Dwarves was one of your answers, and we were talking a little bit about why that you liked the dwarves so much. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because they make metal things. Because they make metal things. Yes. Are all of the things that they make made of metal? No, they can be made out of wood or other things. Okay, I think that that's a good answer. Why the interest in makers? Or why the interest in stories of makers? Um, because I have recently taken up woodshop in school. Okay. And hopefully in high school I can get into welding. Welding class. It's good to have some ambition. Interesting. I like that. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about this story. Where is this story from, Bri? It is from Northern Europe, uh... Mainly Scandinavia. Mm-hmm. And Scandinavia is a region of several countries. Yes. Norway, Finland, and Sweden. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sweden, like Ikea, right? That, that's <laughs> and, what's know, where Ikea comes from, is, is Sweden and all right. that furniture is... But that's not what they're mainly known for. They're known for cheeses, knives. Sweden is? Yeah. And the Swedish chef. Yep. And the Swedish chef. Bork, bork, bork. Okay. Um, let's... So so there's something that is a common misconception with Norse mythology. What's that, Dad? That is that it is Viking mythology. Mm. Is there a difference between the Norse and Vikings? Yes, there is. The Viking... Viking is actually an occupation and not a culture. Whereas Norse is a culture. Great. So so what you're saying is that Vikings are generally Norse, but not all Norse are Vikings. That is what I'm saying. Great. Okay. Now I really like I really like Norse culture and Norse stories. Um, and I've gotten a little bit more into it. There's there's a big Norse community in the SCA, the Society for Creative Anachronism, which we've talked about before, right? And people who do Norse and Viking garb and personas. And so I've gotten a little bit more interested in, you know, things that are Norse. 
because of that, but also because of one of my favorite video games that has come out over the last few years that I enjoy mm. playing, and that's Assassin's, Assassin's Creed. Creed Valhalla. And now, you know, video games and like that, they're not... You, you shouldn't take them as, you know, fact and genuine truth or sources for historic accuracy. Right, but right? this game is pretty historically accurate. Right. Uh, Ubisoft and and I think I think it's still run by Bethesda. Um, they do an excellent job of doing their research, you know, ahead of time and including as much genuine history in those games as as, as possible. But I right. was thinking, like some of the pronunciations of words, like the the Norse word for Viking is actually Vikinger, which I think is a lot of fun, and that's just. It's a word that refers to not just a Viking, but somebody who is a warrior and a pillar of the community. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the oral tradition. Let's segue into talking about how important the oral tradition was to the ancient Norse in these cultures. Okay. The oral tradition was very important in most cultures, especially ours today. The, the role of storyteller is important in our culture, in American culture today? Not particularly. Not particularly, right? I think that you got a little bit confused based on our conversation before we started recording, right? Right. Where was the role, where was the oral tradition important in relation to this episode? Scandinavia. Right. The Scandinavian countries, right? Sweden, Finland, Norway, right? What were their storytellers called? Do you remember? I do not remember. Uh, Norse storytellers were called skalds. Mm. And to be a skald was to hold a position of great honor in your community, right? In that culture, because you were a keeper of the oral tradition. You were a keeper of the histories and the stories and the legends. You were a teacher, right? You were a person of some importance um, if you were going to be a skald. Right. There's just like a, we are right now. Just like we are right now. We are taking on the roles of Scald with with this podcast, with our, our storytelling, right? Let's... Oh, I know what I wanted to talk about. There is a reason why Norse mythology survived the arrival of Christianity in Scandinavia. What do you think that is? What is the reason why this broad mythology and so many of those stories survived to this day? Because think about, right, the, this story is from, do you remember? Over a thousand years ago. The Viking Age. Do you remember the dates on that? 800 to 1000 CE. It's 800 to 1100, and that's Common Era, right? So that's 800 right. to 1100 AD. That's what the Common Era is, right? So you're you're right. That's these stories. This story is over a thousand years old. A long time. And that's a long time for a story to survive, or for a, for the you know the major plot points of a story to survive this long. Right. Why do you think that is? Why did it survive so long? Marvel. No, not Marvel. Before before Marvel, right? Because Marvel's only been around since the 60s, 1960s, 1970s. Right? Storytellers. Because of storytellers. Because of the strength of that... Oral tradition. Great, yes. Because of the strength of that oral tradition. You're exactly right. Okay? With such a strong storytelling tradition, 
right? Right. We are able to look at these stories today, and thanks to the... Internet! Um, thanks to the internet, thanks to the work of Christian monks in monasteries who were recording some of these stories, right? That there are, there are some prominent figures in that history of these stories that I'm not going to really talk about right now. Um, but our listeners who are curious could go go Google, um, I believe it's Snorri Sturluson, I believe is what the guy's name is, who, who is credited with uh, documenting these stories for the first time or maybe, you know, very early on um, and writing them down and getting them on paper to preserve them. Right. Um, even though some changes are made because he was a Christian and he was working for the church at the time, that there were some there were some changes made to these stories. Right. Let's shift from talking about this story and the history of this story to talking about the characters. Let's introduce the story. What can you tell me about the story? Well, the main characters are obviously Thor. Okay. Loki. Thor Thor is the god of hammers. No, god of the god of thunder. Right, right. That's a joke from from Thor, Thor Ragnarok. Ragnarok. Yeah, the movie. Okay, so Thor is the god of thunder. Okay, we've got Thor. Who else? Loki. Loki. The god of mischief. The god of mischief. Before before we get to Loki, who is a character that we meet, let's try and tackle these in order of appearance. After Thor. Sif. Sif. Now, Sif is... A goddess of fertility. A goddess of fertility, a goddess of beauty. What is her relationship to the other characters in Um, the story? Sif is the wife of Thor. Right. Sif is the wife of Thor. Um, She is a goddess of beauty and fertility in in the culture. Right. Right, in the mythology. Loki has a relationship to Thor. Thor. Because they're, air quote, brothers. Right, 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 right. Uh, Loki was adopted by Odin, who is another character that we're gonna we're gonna skip for now because we're gonna we're gonna try to tackle these characters in order, right? So who's right. next after we meet Loki? After we meet Thor and Sif and Loki, Dwalin. Dwalin. Dwalin is a dwarf. A dwarf. And interestingly, um, this is not the first time that we have ever seen this name, right? As, as we are fans of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. This is a name that Tolkien pulled directly from the Norse Eddas, the Norse, you know, the grand Norse poems. Right. right? And he just took this and was like, okay, I'm going to run with this. This is a dwarf name. Here it is. Right. I think that that's an interesting connection. The next two characters. Brokey and Itri are also dwarves. Brock and Itri, also dwarves. And all three of these dwarves are. What do they do? Craftsmen. Craftsmen, right? They're makers. Right, that was your interest. That was your tie to this story. Right, your interest in having this. Right, right. Is the dwarves being makers? Right. Okay. So I was just looking for the right word. To... Oh, yeah. No, you're fine, dude. You're doing great. So we've got the three. We've got the three dwarves, and then okay. So let's get to Odin, who appears at the end of this story. What can you right. tell me about Odin? He is Odin Allfather. So he is the god of pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. Wisdom. Uh, what were the other ones? War? Wisdom, knowledge, magic. He's he can often be seen as a god of war. You know, there's there's stories about. So he as the father of Thor and Loki, right? He plays a big role in all of the stories. He's actually a principal. A lot of times, he is the primary figure 
in Norse mythology. Right. Kind of like how, much like how, I don't want to say that Zeus is a principal, is the principal figure of like Greek mythology. He's because he's not really. He's he, he, he is and he isn't. I was thinking more like Hercules. Hercules is the big figure in, in Greek mythology. Yeah. Perseus, right? But so like coming back to the Norse mythology, where was I going with this? I've completely forgotten where I was going with this. Oh, that, that there are more stories about Odin, or almost there are more stories about Odin than any of these other figures. Right. Odin is a very prominent figure in Norse mythology, but he just has a very small role in this story. Right, and it's, well... You'll find out. Yeah, you'll find okay? out. Okay, and our and lastly, we have... Uh, Frey. Frey. Frey, right? God of war. He's a god of war, god of agriculture, fertility... fertility. Um, I believe he's also kind of an Apollo figure, right? Going back to our, our Greek mythology in that he drives the sun across the sky or he's credited with drawing the sun across the sky or right. something. It's something to do with his, his golden boar, which we're going to hear more about in this story. Right. Right. Um, I think that's it, right? I think that's all of our characters that we need to introduce. Yeah. Okay. And this takes place in Asgard. Do we do? Do you want to take a, um, some a moment to explain? It doesn't actually take place in Asgard. It takes place mostly in what's it called? It it ends. Svartalfheim. Yeah, Svartalfheim. Right. Most of the story takes place in Svartalfheim, but it starts out in Asgard it starts and it, out ends in Asgard. In Asgard, and it ends in Asgard. Right. Asgard. And these are two planes in the North in the Norse mythology cosmos. Right. Right. There's Adgard, Ad, Adgard. There's Asgard, Midgard, Svartalfheim. Um, shoot, I forget the one. I forget the name of the one with the frost giants, right? But there are nine. I thought the frost giants were on Asgard. No, no, no. The frost giants attack Asgard regularly, but I forget just off the top of my head. If if you know, if you know the answer to this, please email us. Please email us. The email will be at the end of the episode and in the show notes. Because we want to know. We want to hear from you. If you know things about Norse mythology, we want your input. We want to hear from you. Right. Um, and so with that, let's jump right into the story. How Thor Got His Hammer Thor was married to Sif who had long, beautiful golden hair that fell from her head to her feet like fields of grain in the summertime. She and her hair were considered symbols of great beauty across the Nine Realms, but especially in Asgard. One morning, Thor woke and sleepily admired his beautiful wife, but something was wrong. He scratched his beard, trying to put his finger on what was different about Sif. He reached out to her and gently shook her shoulder. Sif, Thor whispered. Sif, what has happened to you? The beautiful Sif opened her eyes and groggily asked her husband what he was talking about. When she reached up to scratch her head in bepuzzlement, all she found was her bare pink scalp. Looking at Thor, she gasped. My hair is gone! Thor nodded. It's gone, he said. He has left you bald. He? Sif asked her husband. Thor said nothing, but rose from the bed and strapped on his belt, which magically doubled his strength, and said, Loki. Loki has done this. Why do you say that? 
said Sif, touching her bald head frantically, as if she could make the hair regrow just by massaging her scalp. Because, said Thor, I've learned to think that whenever anything goes wrong, the first thing I should always think is that it is Loki's fault. It saves me a lot of time. Thunder boomed across the sky as Thor made his way to Loki's house. When he arrived at Loki's, he found the door locked, so he pushed through it, leaving the door in pieces. Thor marched into Loki's bedroom, picked up the trickster god by the front of his nightshirt, and said only, Why? Why what, brother? Loki asked the god of thunder, his face the picture of innocence. Sif's hair was her glory. It was so beautiful. Why did you cut it off? A hundred expressions immediately chased each other across Loki's face. Thor shook Loki hard. Loki looked down and tried his best to appear ashamed of his actions. I thought it would be funny. Thor's brow furrowed. People will think her head was shaved as a punishment that she did something shameful. She won't go through life bald, Loki, son of Laufe, because if you don't put her hair back right now, I will break every bone in your body. Every single one. If her hair does not grow back properly, I will come back and break them all again. And again. I will come up to your home and break every bone in your body until I get very good at it. I can't put her hair back, brother. It doesn't work like that. Today, Thor mused, I imagine it will take me just over an hour to break every bone in your body. Tomorrow, maybe an hour. The next day, less. I bet that over time I could get it down to just 12 minutes. It'll be interesting for me to find out. And he started to break Loki's first bone. Dwarves! shrieked Loki. Thor stopped breaking that first bone. What about them? Thor asked Loki. They can make anything. They could make perfect golden hair for Sif that would bond with her scalp and grow normally. They could do it. I swear they could. Thor thought about this for a moment and then gave in. You have 20 hours to produce hair for my wife. If you do not return to Asgard with perfect golden hair for her by then, I will find you, Loki. Loki immediately set off to Svartalfame, home of the dwarves and their workshops. Loki knew that the best of the dwarf craftsmen was the dwarf called Dvalin, so Loki went to his underground forge. Hello, I've been asking around, and people here in Svartalfame tell me that the brothers Brock and Eitri are the greatest craftsmen there are, or have ever been, and ever will be. Do you know where I can find them? No, said Dvalin. It's me. I am the greatest craftsman there is. I have been assured that Brock and Eitri can make treasures that cannot be compared to. Lies, said the dwarf. I wouldn't trust those fumble-fingered feather brains to forge the simplest of hammers. Whatever they make, I assure you, Loki Laufe's son, that I can do better. The gods of the Aesir have set a challenge for the best craftsmen of the dwarves, I was going to deliver that challenge directly to Brock and Eitri, but I suppose you are welcome to participate too. The challenge is to make three treasures, and the gods of the Aesir will judge who made the best treasure. One of the treasures needs to be hair. 
ever-growing, perfect golden hair. I can do that, said Dwellin, and he set to work. Now, Dwellin was a famous rune scald, and he sang words over his work that would make each piece the finest there was. First, he created the spear Gungnir. It was a beautiful spear, carved with intricate runes. Dwellin sang words over the spear that would help it penetrate any defense, always find its mark when thrown, and would make any oath taken on the spear unbreakable. Next, Dvalin created the great ship Skidbladnir, and he sang words as he worked that would let the ship always have a fair wind, even on the most silent of seas. He sang a song that would let the ship sail through the air as well as on the water, and before he finished the ship, he sang words that would allow the ship to be folded up like a cloth, and he placed it in a tiny compass. Finally, the dwarf spun the most graceful of golden threads, and these he wove into a hundred thousand strands for a head of hair so lustrous and shining that all of his apprentices gasped and marveled at its beauty. He sang words over the hair that would allow it to attach itself to the head of the person who needs it and behave in every way as if it were real hair. Loki took all the gifts from Dvalin, promising to present them to the gods on Dvalin's behalf, and, feeling very pleased with himself, he set off for Asgard with a skip in his step. His jauntiness attracted the attention of two dwarves sitting outside their own forge, the brothers Brock and Eitri. "'Hail, Loki, son of Laufey,' Brock called to the trickster. "'Why do you smile so? What mischief are you up to now?' "'Dvalin,' Loki boasted, "'is the cleverest of smiths, both here and in all the Nine Realms.' And he held up the three treasures that Dvalin had made for the other dwarves to examine. "'The gods are going to judge these treasures. They had invited you to compete in the challenge, but Dvalin assured me that you brothers can't make anything near as fine as these. I was going to invite you to demonstrate your craftsmanship to the Aesir, but Dvalin called you fumbled-fingered featherbrains, so I changed my mind.' scoffed Brock, who smelled something fishy about the whole ordeal. "'My brother Eitri can fashion gifts for your gods that are better than those and far sturdier, too!' He paused and leaned in towards Loki. "'Our treasures would hold the magic of the very center of the earth itself. Are you sure this isn't your doing? Stirring up trouble between Eitri and me, and Valen seems like the sort of thing that you do, Loki.' Nothing to do with me whatsoever, Loki told the dwarf. I just thought you should know. And you have no personal stake in this yourself, son of Laufey, Brock demanded. None at all, Loki replied. Brock nodded knowingly and looked up at the god of mischief. Brock's brother, Eitri, was the great craftsman between them, but Brock was the more intelligent brother by far and much more determined. We'll take on Dwalin and attest a skill to be judged by the gods, because I have no doubt that Eitri can forge better and craftier things than Dwalin. But come, Loki, let's make this more interesting, eh? What did you have in mind? asked Loki. Your head, said Brock. If we win this contest, we get your head. There's lots of interesting things going on in there, I imagine, and I have no doubt that my brother could make something wonderful out of it. A thinking machine? An inkwell? Some sort of drinking vessel? 
Loki kept smiling at the brothers as he pondered this wager, scowling on the inside. The day had started off so well for him. Still, all he had to do was ensure that Brock and Eitri lost the contest, the gods would get six wonders for the dwarves, Sif would get her hair, Thor wouldn't break any of his bones, and he would be the hero of this story. He could do that. He was Loki. Of course, Loki said, my head. Not a problem. Brock and Eitri went right to work. Their workshop was dark, lit only by an orange glow from the forge. Eitri took an entire pigskin from a shelf and placed it onto the forge. You've been holding onto that pigskin for something exactly like this, Brock said to his brother. Eitri just nodded. Great, said Brock. I'll work the bellows, Eitri. I'll just keep pumping then. We need it consistently hot, otherwise none of this will work. You just keep working. Brock began to pump the bellows, sending a steady stream of oxygen-rich air into the heart of the forge, heating everything up. He had done it many, many times before. Eitri just watched his brother work the bellows until he was satisfied that it would be hot enough to his liking. Eitri left to work on his creation outside the forge when it was ready. As he opened the door to go out, a large black fly flew in. It was no horsefly, and it was no gadfly. It was bigger than any fly that either of the brothers had ever seen. It flew in and circled the room in a malicious way. Brock could hear the sound of Eitri's hammers outside the forge, and the sounds of his brother filing and twisting, of shaping and banging. The large black fly landed on the back of Brock's hand. Both of the dwarves' hands were on the bellows, but he did not stop pumping the bellows to swat at the fly. The fly bit Brock hard on the back of the hand. The dwarf cried out in pain, but he continued to work the bellows, never missing a beat. The door opened, and Eitri came back in and carefully pulled the work from the forge. He nodded to his brother and smiled. Good work, Eitri, said Brock. The black fly, up in one corner of the forge's ceiling, seethed with resentment and with irritation, and not having thwarted the forging of this treasure. Next, Eitri took a block of gold and placed it in the forge. Great, Brock said. This next one will impress them, I bet. I'll start pumping the bellows, and I'll not slow down, or speed up, or stop. I know there's fiddly work on this one. Eitri left the room and began his work. Brock waited again until he heard the sounds of his brother filing and twisting, shaping and banging on the piece, and he started to pump the bellows. The black fly circled the room thoughtfully, then landed on Brock's cheek, stepping aside daintily to avoid a river of sweat falling from the dwarf's brow. The fly stung at the weathered dwarven skin until Brock cried out and turned white with the pain from the fly's stinger. But still the dwarf worked on, pumping the bellows until Eitri returned once more. Triumphant, the craftsman drew from the forge the second treasure, and he dropped it into the stone cooling pool near the forge to quench it. There was a cloud of steam as the treasure cooled, moving quickly from orange to red, and then back to gold. The third and final gift was yet to be prepared, though, and Eitri picked up an ingot of pig iron, bigger than any that the fly, who was in fact Loki, had ever seen, and hefted it into the forge before leaving the room to work outside. Brock, whose strength was beginning to flag, was left at the bellows with a will that was stronger than ever. 
Brock pumped at the bellows when he heard the sound of Eitri's hammers working away outside. He pumped away at the bellows, and the fire burned brighter and brighter until suddenly the fly decided that there was no more time for subtlety and lit upon Brock's neck and stung him with a ferocity that caused him to leap into the air. But still the dwarf did not miss a beat. The fly landed between Brock's eyes and started to bite at the dwarf's eyelids. Brock continued to pump away at the bellows, his eyes stinging, a gush of blood streaming out into the fire and into Brock's eyes. Brock squinted and shook his head, trying to dislodge the fly from his face. He jerked from side to side, he contorted his mouth to blow air up at the fly, but it was still no good. Brock counted, and at the bottom of the downstroke of the bellows he raised his hand for a split second to swipe at the fly but that singular moment caused the damage that could not be undone. Enough! called Eitri. The black fly flew unsteadily around the room. When Eitri opened the door, he allowed the fly to escape. Eitri looked at his brother in disappointment. I'm sorry, Brock told his brother. I know I came close to ruin your masterwork. That temperature was all over the place there at the end. I hope it still turned out all right. Brock secretly believed that the powers of this last gift would more than make up for the small size of the weapon. He even thought that it might be an advantage. Loki, in Loki's shape at the moment, strolled in through the open door. So, the god of mischief said to the brothers, all ready for the contest? Yes, Loki, son of Laufe, Odinson, said Brock. I will go to Asgard and present our gifts to the gods. He stared at Loki through swollen eyelids. I'm looking forward to cutting off your head. It did indeed get personal. In Asgard, three gods sat upon their thrones. The one-eyed Odin, All-Father, red-bearded Thor, and handsome Frey. They would be the judges of Loki's six dwarf-made treasures. Loki stood before them, standing beside the dwarf master craftsman Dwalin. Brock, black-bearded and brooding, was there too, all alone, standing to one side with his three treasures hidden beneath sheets. So, said Odin Allfather, what are we judging, Loki? Treasures, said Loki. Dvalin has made gifts for you, great Odin, and for Thor, and for Frey, and so have the brothers Eitri and Brock. It is up to you, Allfather, to decide which of the six things is the finest of these treasures. I myself will show you the gifts made by the great Dvalin. And with that, he presented Odin the spear that Dvalin had made, Gungnir, which would penetrate any defense, always find its mark when thrown, and would make any oath taken on the spear unbreakable. This is a very fine spear, Odin said. Next, Loki presented Frey with a small compass, which contained the great ship Skidbladnir. When Loki explained to Frey how to unfold the ship from the compass and put it back, Frey was impressed and Loki was relieved. Finally, Loki presented to Thor the flowing head of golden hair, just in case you, dear listener, had forgotten what this story was about in the first place. This hair is made of real gold, Loki told the God of Thunder. It will attach itself to the head of the person who needs it and grow and behave in every way as if it were real hair. One hundred thousand strands of golden hair. I will test it, said Thor, who cracked the bones in his neck and arms as a reminder of his promise to break Loki if this should fail. 
Sif, my love, please come here. Sif rose and came to the front of the hall, her head covered. She removed the headscarf that she wore. The gods gasped when they saw Sif's bald, naked head, and she carefully placed Dvalin's golden wig on her head and shook out her hair. Every eye of those assembled in the hall was on Sif, and they watched as the hair joined itself to her formerly bald, pink scalp, and Sif stood there, more radiant and beautiful than ever. "'Impressive,' said Thor. "'Well done, Dvalin.' Now it was Brock's turn. His eyelids were still red and swollen, and there were huge insect bites on his neck and face. Brock walked over to Frey and raised a cloth to reveal a huge boar with bristles made of gold. "'This is the boar that my brother Atri has made for you, Frey,' Brock began. It will race across the sky and overseas, faster than the fastest horse, stronger than all the other boars in existence. There will never be a night so dark that its golden bristles will not shed light. It will never tire and never fail you. It's called Gulenbursti, the golden bristled. Frey looked impressed. Still, Loki thought the magical ship that folded up into a compass was every bit as impressive as an unstoppable boar that shone in the dark. He was not worried about losing his head. Next, Brock unveiled a golden arm ring and placed it in front of Odin on his high throne. This arm ring is called Dropnir. The Dripper? asked Odin. That's a funny name for a ring. Not for this one, Allfather, said Brock. Every ninth night, eight gold arm rings of equal beauty will drip from it. You can reward people with them, or store them, and your wealth will increase. Odin examined the arm ring, then pushed it onto his arm, up high on his bicep. It gleamed there in the torchlight. It is a very fine gift, Brock, said Odin. Loki remembered that Odin had said the same thing about the spear, and felt that his head was still safe and the last gift left was the one that Loki knew he had managed to sabotage. From beneath the last cloth, Brock produced a hammer and placed it in front of Thor, who looked at it, sniffed, then said, The handle is rather short. Loki beamed. Brock nodded. Yes, he told Thor. That would be my fault, as I was working the bellows. Before you dismiss it, let me tell you about what makes this hammer so special. It's called Mjolnir, the lightning maker. First, it's unbreakable. It doesn't matter how hard you hit something with it, the hammer will always be undamaged. This piqued Thor's interest. He had already broken many weapons over the years, usually by hitting something with them. If you throw the hammer, it will never miss what you throw it at. Thor looked even more interested with the hammer now, as he had lost just as many excellent weapons as he had broken by throwing them at things that had irritated him and missing, with the weapon never to be seen again. No matter how hard or how far you throw this hammer, it will always return to your hand. Now, Thor was smiling openly, and he did not smile often, as he was eager to try the hammer out on something. You can also change the size of the hammer. It will grow and shrink as needed, so that you could hide it under your tunic if needed. Thor laughed and clapped his hands together in delight at this, and thunder echoed across Asgard. 
And yet, as you have so keenly noticed, the handle of the hammer is indeed too short. This hammer, said Thor, will protect us from the frost giants and from a good many things that would threaten our home. This is the finest gift of them all, Master Brock. Each of the gods was delighted with their gifts, and there was much camaraderie in the hall as they slapped the backs of the dwarves and the redeemed trickster god. It was Brock, however, who put a stop to the celebrations when he stepped forward and explained the wager that he had made with Loki. The gods looked at one another and eyed their magnificent gifts. Although it was generally agreed upon that Sif's hair could not be more lustrous or more beautiful, the gods announced that Brock's gifts were the finest and the most magical, based solely on the gift of Mjolnir the Hammer. Good to know, said Brock, who turned to Loki. I get to cut off your head and take it back with me. Itri will be so pleased. I'm sure we can turn it into something useful. Loki thought for just a moment and then said, Then you can have my head if you can catch me. And the trickster god leapt high into the air and ran off and was gone. Brock looked to Thor. Can you catch him? It would be an excellent opportunity to try out your new hammer. Thor smiled wickedly at this and was off. Moments later, he returned, holding Loki tightly. Loki glaring with impotent fury. Now, 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 started Loki. You can, of course, cut off my head, but I appeal to the mighty Allfather here that if you cut off any part of my neck, you are violating the terms of our agreement, which promised you my head and my head only. Odin looked to Thor. He looked to Frey. He looked to Loki, and he shook his head. Loki is right, Master Brock, the Allfather said reluctantly. You have no rights to his neck. Brock was irritated with this ruling. But I cannot cut off his head without cutting his neck. Loki looked very pleased with himself. You see, my friends, he said, if people only thought more about the exactness of their words, think through what they were actually saying, then they would not dare to take on Loki Laufey's son, the son of Odin, the wisest, the cleverest, the trickiest, the most intelligent, the best-looking, the most mischievous. Brock whispered a suggestion to Odin, whose booming laughter filled the hall. That would be a fair trade, the Allfather said. Brock produced an awl, a thing for drilling holes, a strong gut thread, and a needle. Loki was held by Thor as Brock punched holes in Loki's lips and sewed Loki's lips together with a needle and thread. Brock walked away from having been tricked by Loki, and he left Loki with his mouth sewn shut, unable to boast or complain or trick anyone. For Loki, the pain of being unable to talk hurt even more than the pain of having his lips stitched together. It took a hundred days for Loki's lips to heal enough for him to take the stitching out, and a hundred days more for his lips to heal well enough for him to talk again without feeling any pain, a constant reminder of being bested by Brock the Dwarf. So, now you know. This is the story of how Thor got his hammer, and some of the Aesir's greatest treasures came into their possession. It was all Loki's fault. Mjolnir, 
the greatest weapon of the gods was Loki's fault. And that was the thing about the trickster. You resented him, even when you were at your most grateful. And you were grateful to him, even when you hated him the very most. Thank you for the story, Dad. You're welcome, Bray. Um, so, I have a question. Okay. What do you think would happen if Sif got Mjolnir instead of Thor? What do I think would happen if Sif got Mjolnir instead of Thor? Well, that's a really interesting question, Bri, because it takes into consideration that while in the mythology, while in the original mythologies, she might not necessarily be associated with a war domain. Right. She might not be a battle... Goddess. Goddess, right. But in Marvel, Sif is an important member of, I think it's like, Thor and the Warriors 3, mm -hmm. right? She is she is a battle-hardened, tough lady. And so I think that if in the original mythology, Sif had been granted the hammer instead of Thor, I'm not sure that much would have happened. If we take Sif from the Marvel films and comics and put her in this story, I think that she might have gone after Thor to get revenge. Or not after Thor. After Thor! She might have gone after Loki to get revenge on Loki herself. Regardless, she probably would have rocked the bald look and have been just as fierce and just as uh, admired as she was before when right. she had hair. Why did Loki go to the dwarves instead of... Why do you think Loki went to the dwarves instead of running away? Do you think he was scared because Thor would find him? This this is a really good question. Oh, this is a really good question, and it's not fair because I don't think that this is one that you asked me when we were talking about it wasn't. your other questions and how we were going to talk about this, um, which is okay. That's fine. Uh, you just threw me off a little bit, and so now I'm trying to have, have to scramble. Um, I think that Loki went to the dwarves because Loki is not a coward. Right. Lo well, I mean... I mean, there's there's a hint of cowardice uh, of on around Loki, but you know, generally speaking, he's not a coward. He's he's kind of a little foolhardy, right? He's a little bit brash in his actions because he thinks I think that he thinks that he's a little bit invincible. What you know? does what does brash mean? It means bold. It's another word for bold. Um, a little bit rough. In, in the boldness, right? right. He, he runs into things without thinking about them sometimes, and I think a lot of times that he just does things without thinking. I, I've already said that, though, um, so we'll probably need to edit some of that down. But he does yeah. these things without thinking about them, and they just kind of turn out in his favor. Sometimes. And then he, he rolls with it. Sometimes. Sometimes. So I think that he went to the dwarves because he wanted a chance to, you know, make amends himself and to potentially gain some of his honor back, which would have been a big thing for, for the Norse. You make a mistake, you need to take action to make it right. Right. For people who don't remember, like, the beginning, why did Loki cut Sif's hair? Because he thought it was going to be funny. He's a trickster god, right? Loki is very much so an antagonist in these mythologies, but he's also, like, he's not a hero figure, Right? And, right, and most mythologies need someone to blame for for things going wrong, for weird things happening, for weird creatures encountered, right? And so he's very much the scapegoat for for Norse mythology, right? Um, and we need we needed a, 
a character to, to start, right? If, if you're thinking about this as a story that was originally told by a single person who right. was coming up with these stories, who had just had this idea, that storyteller over a thousand years ago needed somewhere to start this story. And the character of Loki already existed, right? Or that that the idea of Loki already existed as a mischievous trickster. So right. I see this as an incident where the storyteller was like, I need a way to kick the start this story. I'll just use Loki. Very much in the same way that at the beginning of this story, right? Thor immediately, Loki. his brain goes Loki straight to Loki. Loki did it. Loki always does it. This is Loki's fault. It's the same kind of thing there. Okay. Um... I don't know what to talk about anymore. Okay, what do you think the meaning of this story is? Imagine that you are, you know, you are from Norway or Finland or Sweden. Okay, you're you're one of these people. You are a kid living a thousand years ago at this time. And you hear the skald of your village, of your community, telling this story. What's the message that you take away from this story? Don't cut your half-brother's wife's hair off. Okay. Because why? Why do you think that that's the the main message of this? Because that's the thing that started the whole story. <laughs> if if Loki hadn't cut the hair off, it wouldn't have happened. The whole story but then wouldn't again, have happened. If Thor hadn't cut Sif's hair off, keep going. If Loki hadn't cut Sif's hair off, then Thor wouldn't have gotten his hammer. Right, 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 right. I think that the main message for this story is something that I I've already said in our discussion of the story. Don't trust dwarves. Don't trust dwarves? Don't trust dwarves. I don't think that that's I don't think that that's the meaning that you're supposed to take. I think that if we were, right, to to teleport ourselves in our mind, right, back to the year 800, where the story is fresh and new and exciting maybe. This is just when it starts to occur in the historic record. Um, around this time, right? If we're hearing this story for the first time as uh, a young individual, as a child, I think that the moral of this story is that you need to go out of your way to correct errors that you have made, that you have caused, right? You need to make amends for your mistakes. And I think that that's a pretty solid moral from this, right? If you make a mistake, it's your job to clean it up. If you do something wrong, it is your responsibility to make amends for the wrong done. Right. Right. And I think I think that that is is the big moral of this this piece. Okay. What was your favorite part of this story? When Loki got his mouth stitched shut. Right at the end when Loki gets his mouth stitched shut. Do you think it was fair that Odin sided with Loki on not letting Brock take Loki's head no. by not cutting the neck? Well, actually, maybe because Brock didn't think about the deal that he was making when, and his wording. Right. When Brock made that deal, though, and he was like, if I, if I win, I get to cut off your head. That's kind of implied, don't you think, that you're going to lose some neck in that deal? Maybe. Unless you like right there. Well, but where does your neck start as you as you Here. draw your fingers across the bottom of your chin, right, to illustrate where, right? You've right. got to tell the listeners what it you're doing, right? It starts at the top of your shoulders. You think your head starts at the top of your oh, shoulders? No. Your at... head starts at the top of your neck. Where where does my neck begin at the top of my shoulders? So maybe what I mean then is if my neck starts at the top of my shoulders, where along my neck does my head begin and my neck end? Here. That's a very tricky... Are you sure? 
Because isn't no. that just your upper neck? Up by your ears, kind of? Right? Like, you can feel your jawbone. Right? And you but, can, like, But under feel... your jawbone is kind of neck, too. Because, like, your jawbone goes up sure. t- to here, and then it I, goes back down. I and... don't necessarily think that that was a fair call. I mean, Odin is seen typically as an adjudicator. So I don't think that that was necessarily a fair call to make on his part to side with Loki, but it definitely makes for a better story because then as Loki starts to get braggadocious, right? Right. Um, Brock has this other thought to get to get even with Loki and sews up is, his lips. Is that a word? Braggadocious? Absolutely. And it's an interesting word to bring up, or the etymology of this word, because to brag comes from another Norse character, the god, Bragi, who drank from the mead of poetry right. and became the first great poet-skald-type character um, in the Eddas, I believe. Uh, again, if I'm wrong, please email us, please let us know, um, please at us. But so Bragi became the skald, and the word to brag originally meant that you were just, you're just talking, you're talking a lot. Um, and I guess that kind of means the same thing now. If somebody's bragging, then they're just they're just talking without really having any meaning. They're kind of talking about themselves, right? right? The the ending of that docious is really just an emphatic. Okay. That braggadocious. <coughs> uh, it's a uh, modifier. Yeah, it's a modifier of the word to brag. Um, I think that it's an English thing, right? That we do where we're just adding meaning to the word. If a person right. is braggadocious, it means that they brag a lot. A lot. I think I think that's a good ending for this discussion. That was a good yeah. conversation. Let's talk about your poem for this week. Or well, it's not really my poem. You're going to read it. Right, I'm going to read it. It's just like it's not my story, right? right? I didn't choose the story for this week. Right, I did. You did. I chose a poem for a reason. What was that reason? I chose the poem because the author has already been mentioned in this episode as somebody who has a connection to Norse mythology as a scholar and a linguist and uh, arguably the father of the modern fantasy genre. Yeah. And that person is... J.R.R. Tolkien. J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> Tolkien. Tolkien. There, there is an L in there. Um, yeah, and that poem is, is Goblin Feet. Now, we're reaching the end of our hour time limit that we're trying to keep us to. So I think that without any further explanation of this poem, let's just have you read the poem and then we'll have our discussion. Okay. Goblin Feet by J.R.R. Tolkien I'm off down the road where the fairy lanterns glowed and the little pretty flitter mice are flying. A slender band of gray runs creepily away and the hedges and the grasses are sighing. The air is full of wings and of blundery beetle things that warn you with their whirring and their humming. Oh, I hear their tiny horns of enchanted leprechauns and the padded feet of many gnomes are coming Oh, the lights! Oh, the gleams! Oh, the little tinkly sounds! Oh, the rustle of their noiseless little robes! Oh, the echo of their feet, of their happy little feet! Oh, their swinging lamps in the starlit globes! 
I must follow in their train down the crooked fairy lane where the coney rabbits long ago have gone and where silvery they sing on a moving moonlit ring all a-twinkling with the jewels they have on they are fading round the turn where the glow-worms palely burn and the echo of their padding feet is dying oh it's knocking at my heart let me go oh let me start for the little magic hours are all a-flying oh the warmth oh the hum oh the colors in the dark oh the gauzy wings of golden honey flies oh the music of their feet their dancing goblin feet oh the magic oh the sorrow when it dies thank you for the poem you're welcome bry thank you for choosing the poem you're welcome so again i think that the really big connection of this poem to the story is tolkien's work with the norse myths and his inclusion of some Dwalin. some names um in in his own writings Dwalin. but i also think let me there's there's a line in that that really struck me and as i go oh there it is as i go back to the book um in towards the end and the echo of their padding feet is dying oh it's knocking at my heart let me go oh let me start what do you think that line means and specifically um, with the it's knocking, knocking at, at my, my heart. heart um i think it means like if you're uh waiting for something mm -hmm. and it's like i can feel it knocking at my door Yes, that is exactly what I was thinking too. That the the sound of the padding feet is dying, but still it's it's knocking at the heart. That there's a longing and a desire, right, to hear right to hear the padding of that feet. And then he's saying, "Let me go, right? Let me answer that door. Let me go follow this sound, right? Right? For the little magic hours are a flying. Let me go pursue." this magical feeling again of what this is like um there is also the 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 last couple of lines right he's talking about the music of their feet right the music of the little magical goblin feet oh the magic oh the sorrow when it dies right and again talking about that that desire and the longing for that 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 otherworldly experience right right do we get any of that longing out of the story of how Thor got his hammer? A little bit. Where do you see that in the story? Um, like in the middle when he's when Loki is going to the dwarves. That he's actively pursuing something magical and otherworldly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I definitely see that. Um I definitely also wanted to keep this conversation, this discussion, a little bit shorter because our story did run long. Um, maybe at some point in the future, we can come back to this poem and get a little bit more into it. I particularly liked how we were able to tackle last week's poem. Yeah. Um, what was last week's poem? dandelions the daffodils daffodils dandelions close yellow yellow little flower right i i really liked our discussion on on that poem and i'd like to be able to take this one a little bit more apart like that too um but we are 
out of time, sadly. So let's have you uh, take us out. All right. Thank you for listening. You can email us at deadtimestorypod at gmail.com. That is D-A-D-T-I-M-E-S-T-O-R-Y-P-O-D at gmail.com. And if you would be so kind, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at DeadTimeStoryPod. And please leave us a review. You can do that on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts. You can do it on... I think you can leave us a review on Anchor or just on any of the social media outlets that we are on, too. We appreciate all of that interaction. Right. Thank you for listening to another episode of Dad Time Stories, a podcast where I get my dad to tell us stories. I'm Brian. And I'm your dad. Until next time, be good. Do good. And and tell tell more more stories. stories.